I, I love it. And if you don't know me, I'll try to give you a little um, picture into my heart. Um, I'm in my late 40s, almost hitting 50, and um, I love it because I feel like for the past 20-something years in ministry and music and writing songs and traveling all over the place, I have this amazing opportunity to um, spend my life turning around to another generation coming up. Hey, girl. <laughs> and, um, and just shouting back at you how amazing it gets, how awesome it becomes, um, that there are better choruses coming for you. There are better lyrics. Um, there's better sermons. There's, better, um, there's just better days ahead. God gets brighter. Um, faith gets bigger. Um, miracles blow your mind. Um, prayers get answered. I mean, there's just so much ahead. And, and I just, I can't say enough to throw courage on you today that with where you're at, just with someone who has never seen what she thought she was going to see in her 20s, um, I have seen things that I never thought in the world God or never expected God to show me. And I'm in love with the Lord. Like just, like he's amazing. Like he just gets better. He's like the best wine in the world. He just gets better and better and better. And I'm so undone with how he offers himself constantly. I mean, I am seeing things and doing things that I just sometimes sit down and have to almost take deep breaths because I can't believe God gives me the ability to sit down with the people that I get to sit down. And these aren't people sometimes with names or with, you know, um, history behind them. Sometimes they are, but really what's amazing is, and um, uh, this gal in the front row makes my bracelets, but our, my, my motto for our school that, that is now in its eighth year called Dive, people think I run a scuba diving school, it's hilarious. Um, hey, God, there's a bunch of people here. Some of my students are here. Um, our, our um, motto is um, that uh, the enemy's heard a rumor about you that you're going to change the world, and that's why you have a fight on your hands. And so um, we believe that the rumor is true, um, that, that um, God's going to use us to change the world. And so I just want to encourage you this morning. I, I felt, you know, I was sitting back there listening to them sing, and I know what the Lord's laid on my heart just to... to Really, that's all I do is just throw courage. I don't think I'm anybody special, I, but I love to throw life and courage on people and spend my days doing it constantly, which is so amazing. Um, I just uh, recorded another album. Never thought I'd do another album again as long as I lived, and I was great with that. I was really great with that, and the Lord said, you know, you're not done because greater are the things that you'll do in the latter part of your life than you've ever done in the former and so I, I feel like I just did this thing that I've never done that's better than anything I've ever done. And I, it was funny because last week I went into this meeting and the powers that be were like, well, we really think we should do a tour next. And I just burst out laughing. Like I was like laughing at them. I was like, you want to get a tour bus? Like that's hilarious. Because I've just been like, those days are so far behind me. Um, but I just feel like the Lord is just doing this really special, precious thing. And it has to do with Believing that the best is yet to come. Believing that it's not over yet. And whatever capacity God gives you, that it's not over yet. 
I remember being in my 20s, probably 26, 27, and I was living in Seattle, Washington at the time, and I was a, a nanny or kind of a household manager for these very wealthy people who owned um, oil. And so every day I would make my way across the Washington Bridge and, and go into this beautiful neighborhood with this 9,000 square foot house on top of the hill and our neighbors were the Cobains. And, um, and so in living in Seattle in the height of the grunge movement and seeing um, that movement of music and um, it become part of our history and our culture, even in um, part of rock music and um, heavy metal. It was just was an interesting time to be alive in Seattle and then to work next door to Kurt Cobain and his wife, Courtney. And um, when Kurt killed himself, it was a very difficult um, to get to work for a couple weeks because there was police tape everywhere and um, and you could, you only had to, you can go into certain places. And I actually had to be okayed by police to go into the neighborhood that we were in. And, and it was just an interesting time. But I remember it was a time when the Lord awakened me in the spirit in ways that I had never been awakened because I'd felt that I had such a heart for the marketplace. And um, really, I mean, I could have probably done a lot better if I would have just gone straight to the marketplace. I spent years trying to define myself and defend myself in Christian music because in that era, in my era, um, my voice was too secular. And that's what the, the, uh, the label said, we don't know how to market you, we really don't even know how to record you because your voice might scare Christians away. <laughs> Literally, that was what was said to me. Radio said, we don't know how to play you because on our CCM record, uh, uh, on our CCM radio stations, your voice is just so harsh. Like your voice is like, well, it's like Bonnie Raitt or Melissa Etheridge and that just freaks Christians out. <laughs> And so I, I, I was in this place where the Lord was asking me to write songs that heaven was giving me and write songs that, that people in the church were, would come to the Lord and come to a passion in the Lord. But I was misunderstood right and left because the texture and the quality of the voice that God gave me wasn't there because I smoked a pack of cigarettes a day or because I had nodules on my throat. It was there because God had given me a voice to do something that had not yet been done. It took me a long time to figure that out. And it took me a long time to be okay with what God had given me and stop putting myself in boxes that God never asked me to be put in. And so I remember when Kurt died and I remember watching the streets of Seattle fill up with these, um, with my, with, with, with my gen, uh, generation. And the, the mourning that took place in that season over his death and what his death meant to so many of the followers of grunge music and the Holy Spirit spoke to me in the library of this 9,000 square foot home. And he began to talk to me about what was coming in writing in the church and what was coming in music. And that if I looked out to see what the, um, the world was mourning over to, to know that what God was doing in music within the church and out that would pour out in the streets. In fact, I felt like the Lord said, don't be surprised when you see artists and writers start walking outside the walls of the church and um, auditioning themselves on television way before American um, Idol even got started. And so for years, I spent my quiet time in closets praying for this coming sound that was going to emerge and these artists that were going to come to merge. I didn't care if I was involved with it. But, you know, even, even as a mom of a 12-year-old, of a I, I wanted to be able to mother it. I wanted to be able to parent it. I wanted to be able to tell my kid, make noise. 
Like, just make as much noise as you want to make and sing as loud as you want to sing because something's coming. And I believe it was in that, in that time that the Lord began to stir me for um, just the fact that I think one of the greatest revivals that we will see, when, we use the, when I use the term revival, I almost hesitate to use it because it is kind of such a Christian easy word, you know. And when we think about it, we think about tents and we think about, you know, big loud-mouthed preachers and we think about late nights and all that kind of weird stuff that goes around with it. But I think there's a revival coming in the arts and I think that it's coming and I think that it will overtake um, the world. And I think that it's going to be one of the greatest harvests we've ever seen. And I think it's going to come in the form of lyrics and sound. And it's going to be, it come in the form of ballets and stage productions. And it's going, to be, it's going to be a people that are going to bust outside of the walls of what um, other people have misinterpreted um, that is the Lord. And God's going to let you be able to see what his interpretation of you is. And I love that. I just love that. Um, but what I felt like even to share with you this morning is, is something that God has been doing with me. I don't know if you're like me, but, you know, I kind of track my life in seasons with the Lord. And the way that I do it is that, you know, when the year comes around, so when January comes around, my goal is always this. In the next January, I don't want to be the same. So it really doesn't matter if all hell breaks loose in that year. I want to be able to get to the final part of that year that I'm going through and say, God was amazing. Even in the hell, God was amazing. And I want to progress. I've always called worship or relationship with God as a, as a constant kind of um, uh, progression toward the heart of the Lord. And this isn't a religious approach. I know that sometimes when we talk about this stuff, we can taint it with religion. I think relationship is fascinating. I really think it's fascinating. Right now, relating to a 12-year-old is like fascinating to me. A, because he's a boy and I've never lived with a man and it's freaking me out all day long. Freaking me out like hair in places that I just don't even want to talk about, like things that he says, and the fact that he's absolutely brain dead blows my mind. So, so there's just, this year has just been this year of, of learning as a mother, like things that I, and maneuvering and all this kind of stuff, but it's still a year of learning. And even in the learning, there's creativity that flies all over the place. Even in the hardest of places, there's stuff that I'm constantly creating. It's, it's hilarious to me. I wish, I wish that I could somehow write a book about what I did five years ago to what I'm doing now. You know, it's just like, I, I would never have said 10 years ago that I'd be writing songs by beating on tables or having the Lord tell me that the part of my fence that fell down, you know, a few months ago was actually could be repurposed to do this one other thing. And then I did it and it actually worked. Just crazy stuff like that. I would have never even thought that this creative out of the box wild God would give me what he's what he's given me. But what I know that I have to, like, keep in check is the things that stir me the most that are need in this is really to be seen, to be heard, and constantly healed by the Lord. And so I just want to share with you, I felt like the Lord said, share with them about just being seen by God. Because I know as artists and as writers, um, the world that we live in, even as worship leaders in the church, I mean, I, 
I went on staff um, four years ago. Again, it's just one of those things where it's hilarious. But I was asked to come on staff at, at one of the largest growing churches in our nation. Um, we're, we're topping now a little over 30,000 people. And there's over 1,000 pastors on staff. And it's a pretty crazy place. Um, and a pretty amazing place. But I never thought that I would be on staff at a church A. I thought I would stay so cool and on the road all the time. And, and, um, and so I have this beautiful opportunity to be raising this generation up in songwriting and, um, and just putting um, fire under you know, uh, people's hearts to write better choruses, to write better than I've ever written. And that's the big thing for me is like, you know, I get so excited, like just hearing them sing. I'm just back there going. I, I, I feel like there's this, this firecracker that's about to go off because sometimes when I hear lyrics, I'm just, I just think it's amazing what the gifts that God gives to people. But I think what sometimes we struggle with um, on a constant basis is um, how God sees us and how we're seen and how we're validated um, and how we're, um, we're received by people. And when you do anything with regard to the arts or being in the, in the public eye, that can, be a, that can be a distraction. It can be something that we are constantly looking for. And I know for me, especially in this season where, you know, I look at September and when September kind of crosses, and maybe it's because it's the, it's the um, Jewish turning of the new year that it kind of starts in September, but I start to go into like a small panic and hyperventilated state when we get into the holidays and, and then we get around to the new year, hoping that everything that God said would complete itself or that God would show himself or that things would, would start to emerge or that maybe this year or that maybe this year or that maybe this year or that maybe this year. And so sometimes we, we start to, to question how God sees us at that last part of the year before another year breaks. And I'm telling you prophetically, something is coming in 2017. I, I don't think it's just about our nation being led um, in a completely different manner or completely different way, but I do think God's up to something. And I think now is such a beautiful time to put your pen to paper. Um, now is such an amazing time that like God is releasing things over people that he wants certain songs written. He wants to hear certain phrases sung. And so I, I just I want to encourage you in that, that even if you're in a, in a trembling of, being, of not being seen or not being noticed or, or not being, um, you know, revelatory or not being, you know, even um, understood by people around you or in the position that you want, that... Um, God can take that and he can show you that you still have an inheritance. And I'm going to show you that. I mean, you don't have to turn to your Bibles if you've got them. Um, I'm just going to read a little story. And I'm just going to read this scripture to you that's one of my favorites. Um, and it's actually out of the message. And we're going to talk a little bit about um, that. And I'm blind. So um, it's out of um, Proverbs 29. Uh, verse 18, and this is in the message, and it says, If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are the most blessed. It's, this, it's the, the verse that you have probably heard that, that also translates that people without a vision will perish. So I want to just share with you a story out of Ruth about two women and whenever I've read this story or, or talked about this story 
prior, it's always about, been about the terms of Boaz and Boaz being the kinsman redeemer because that's a huge highlight for this book. But the Lord brought me to this story about a month ago and he began to talk to me about vision and he began to talk to me about sight and he began to talk to me about keeping um, vision next to you at all times. And so I'm just going to kind of go over this story so you kind of know what the reference point is. But this is a family that had to leave their home because there was nothing to eat. So if they stayed where they had lived and dined together and been born, they wouldn't have survived. And so they had to pack up everything they had and move to another city called Moab in order to survive physically. So a woman named Naomi and her husband and two sons left their town. So it would be like you leaving your town that you're living in because there's no food, there's no prosperity, there's nothing there for you, and having to go to a completely opposite place and learn to survive in a place that's absolutely unfamiliar. And this is what happened. And while they're gone, this woman, Naomi, not only loses her husband, but she loses her two sons who have married women from that city. And so now her hometown is um, flourishing again, and she has the opportunity to go back. But she makes a statement, and she says, when she comes back in, Naomi says that when she left the city of her youth and of her birth, she left full. But when she returned, she came back empty. And so I wanted to share with you the perspective that sometimes we carry when we only look at the tangible as what we, what we need. When I adopted my son 12 years ago today, um, which was a very scary, amazing, beautiful process that was a journey with the Lord, and I always call my son the greatest song that I will ever write. That moment of obedience was the greatest song that I ever composed in my life. But when I walked out of the hospital with him in a carrier and I was sick to my stomach with nerves and nausea because I had really no reference or idea except that God had asked me to do something as a single person who longed to be married but wasn't married yet. And I was biting off something that I had no reference for in my life. And I clicked him in. The Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, you know, the birth mother walked into this hospital full and you walked into this hospital empty. But you walk out full and she walked out empty. And so the perspective of tangibility and what we hold on to became really real in that moment because I had nothing coming in, but I had everything coming out. She had everything coming in, but nothing going out. And so it's this perspective in Ruth that we're talking about where the tangible things that we can hold on to, what people say, the accolades that we're given, the stuff that people say about our, our songs, or the positions that we gather, those are things in the natural that cause us to feel like we're noticed or we're seen. But the moment there's a shift in the atmosphere and we leave the familiar, as long as we have what we need while we walk out of the familiar, we're okay. But if we miss or lose the familiar, when we walk back to plenty or when we walk back into where God's calling us to go, that we're going to flourish in, but we don't have what we want or we don't have what's tangible around us or that we decree is what we need in order to get done what God has called us to do, we all of a sudden lose our vision and we don't know how to fight it. 
And so here is a woman who has all of a sudden attached to her this daughter-in-law who won't leave her side, who should go and stay in Moab, but she won't leave her side. In fact, Ruth says to Naomi, your God, my God, your people, my people, which basically means I'm not leaving you no matter what. I have given away all of my rights for my life, and I'm attaching myself to everything that you have. And Naomi is a woman that we understand has inheritance regardless. We know the story. She's in the line of inheritance. But a lot of times you question what you're inheriting from God because you don't have what you want or tangible around you that speaks the language that you need spoken in order for you to believe that God's going to do what he's going to do in your life. And let me just read this scripture as they come back into their hometown. In Ruth chapter 1 verse 19, so the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. And then when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? In verse 20, Naomi replies and says this, Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. I, I want to just point out that the next verse in 22 simply says, So Naomi. So there's no other mention of Mara. There's no other mention of her being embittered, just so you know. It's almost as a joke or a hilarious line that the Lord slips in there, where you can call yourself all kind of names you want because of your circumstance, but God still calls you by your first name. You know what I'm saying? So I want to just point out that you're in this place, and these women, Naomi's in this place where she's come back, and she doesn't see herself as um, resident. She doesn't see herself as revelatory. She doesn't see herself as in the lineage of a king of Israel who's in the lineage of a Messiah of the world. None of that is feasible. None of that is, is in the sight line because everything in her sight line is despair, disappointment. God hasn't. He just hasn't. He doesn't seem to. He's not watching. He's done this. And she actually says with her mouth, this is what I'm going to call myself now because he's put it upon me to do it, which has nothing to do with the Lord. It is everything to do with you will name God a lot of times from the perspective of what God has done or not done in your life. And the reality of it is, is God's given you a gift. He's given you a, a history. He's given you a future. And all he's asking for you is to trust him in the process. And for us, sometimes it's so hard to do it. But what I love about the Lord is he puts this young kid, he puts this young woman next to her who becomes the vision who becomes the very thing that keeps her in a place that she doesn't perish, that she doesn't put off the things of God so that she can actually begin to see what God is doing in her life. And I want to just keep reading here and showing you what happens. You know, I've, I've heard this story taught so many times and it's always stuck in me that, well, Naomi sets Ruth up, right? You know, Boaz is her um, kin, and, and Naomi sets up her daughter-in-law. Naomi didn't set up her daughter-in-law. Her daughter-in-law set Naomi up, and watch what I'm talking about. Um, now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Eliam, Elimech, 
whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. And Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to, to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in the field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elamiah. Okay, so I just want to say this to you because I think some of you need to hear it. I feel like some of you are in a season today where you are walking into an as it turned out. I feel like God is putting people or he's putting places or he's putting circumstances at your right and at your left hand. And he's saying, I'm going to give you vision to keep going and do what you never thought possible and do what you didn't think you could ever do. He's going to put the roots in your life. He's going to put the things in your life that provide vision for you to keep going. And what's happening is God is going before you. He's going into the field before you to find out where you can find what you need in order for you to survive the season that you're in. Does that make sense? Am I too intense? Because no. <laughs> I'm pretty intense. But I just feel it in my heart for you that you need hope. You need hope in this season. Our country, our nation needs hope. You guys, our church, the church in America needs hope. And we are at the cutting edge and, the, and the, 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 the cusp of something greater happening. And God needs our sound. He needs our melodies. He needs your art. He needs your sculptures. He needs your dancing. He needs all that stuff to get his point across. He maybe needs you to be the Ruths to, to, to a nation. He maybe needs you to be the Ruths that go out with everything you got and glean in the field and then bring them back into the church and say, see, we do have vision. See, we do have plenty. See, we do have enough. And this is what I, I feel like God is wanting so much to do. This, this young woman who goes out and gleans in a field, and then she comes back and she says to her kind of blind mother, spiritually blind mother-in-law, I, I want to just read this. Um, Uh, so Ruth, in verse 17 of chapter 2, so Ruth gleaned in the field until evening, and then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it, it amounted to an um, ephath, and she carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. And her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one whose place she had been working the name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. Verse 20, here's when vision comes back. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not sh stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. And she added, this man is our close relative. He is the one, he is one of our guardian redeemers. So I love that because in verse 20, you know, Ruth comes back and, and she's got all this stuff with her and she presents it to her mother-in-law and her mother-in-law's like, who had favor on you? And all of a sudden, Ruth starts to tell her and she says, the man's name is Boaz. And all of a sudden, Vision comes back and knowing she's like, oh my gosh, he's a family. He's our family. He's our family. This guy's our family. And all of a sudden, this thing in Naomi's head starts to spin and she begins to realize Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, something's about to happen. I, I can set her up. And then all of a sudden she ends up knowing how to set her daughter-in-law up for marriage and for um, um, grabbing a hold of the kinsman redeemer. I love, let me just read the end of this um, scripture. In chapter 4 at the end of the passage in um, 
uh, verse 13, it says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his. And when he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. And the women said to Naomi, now these are the women that, remember, they came into the town, and the women said, could this be Naomi? And she says, no, my name is Mara, the Lord has made me bitter. The women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than then servants, then seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. And the woman living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed, and he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Isn't it just like the Lord to, um, to still see someone with no vision, to still think about someone whose heart's broken, or to still think about someone who's just done with doing it this way, to still think about someone who's like, no one's ever going to notice this, to still think about someone who has left the altar completely disappointed and walked completely away. Isn't it just like God to still see and still speak life and say, no, no, no. One day you'll have a son and he'll be the heir to the throne. One day you're, you're going to hold that son. One day in your, in your lineage, there is no room for lack of vision because it's in your lineage that a king is born. And I just, I don't know if that makes sense to some of you. I don't know if that encourages some of you. For, but for me, sometimes when we live in seasons and it gets hard and we don't know what the Lord is doing, to know that he sees us, to know that he, he really sees us. He knows exactly what you're writing. He knows exactly what you're doing. He knows what your heart beats for. He knows how different you are than everybody else. He knows that, that you don't fit into that box and you don't fit into that box. He's God. He knows everything. He sees everything. But he sees it because he sees you. And he knows how to put vision next to you. Can I just have um, this precious couple come back up? Aren't they just so precious? I love these guys. And I hope this is okay, Daniel, just to, to do this. Um, but I just want to pray for you, and, and, and I'm just going to pray for you, and I'm just going to ask that, that they just sing that song over you again. And that, um, what's the, what are the exact lyrics in that chorus? The, the bridge part says, break open this box around my head, around my heart, you're better than I think. Break open this box around my head, around my heart, you're better than I think. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you love that line? You're better than I think. I love you, Lord. I mean, who is like you? There's nobody. There's nobody good enough. There's nobody kind enough. You're the best songwriter to learn from, God. You're the best teacher. You're the best rabbi. Your back is strong enough to bear the sins of the world. I mean, who is like you? This morning, we just acknowledge that we're seen by you. We're seen by God. We're seen by the merciful, everlasting, faithful God. And God, I just 
speak into the atmosphere hope and life and God I just ask that something special in this place happen with this event that the people that have come here that are seeking after the future that are wondering that have questions that only you know only you listen to every whisper to every soul whisper in this room only you know the dynamics only you know what's in the households only you know what's happened at the pianos and what's what's gone on when we grab the guitars and we plug things in when we pick up the dance shoes or when we think about colors only you know what's really going on because you see being seen by God because we've called ourselves a name that we're not based on circumstances and how we see tangibility and how we see what we have. God, we don't want to limit ourselves any longer to what we can hold in our hands. But God, we want to open up our hearts and let the heaviness of the Spirit of God rest there. speak over every wounded and unseen soul in this place today. I have heard a rumor that you're going to be 